This is our God. <laughs> God said, I will be your God. And then he said, and you will be my people. That'll preach. <laughs> Just not today. I have a new series of messages. It's going to be a short series of messages. Hi, Connor. Happy birthday. <laughs> and congratulations, since we haven't had a chance to say that to you yet. Connor, stand up with your wife. Happy belated marriage. What are we, four months late? That's a old married couple by now. I was going to say, you do look a little beaten down, but I decided not to say that. Yeah. That would not have been a good thing for me to say. So, so I thought better of it. Third, third month. It's already been the thir third month. Oh, oh. Oh. Really? Congratulations. Wow. Well done, son. Can you say that? Can you say that? Can you say that? No. Can't say that either. Cut that from the, from the recording. Uh, extra congratulations. Wow. Jim, Jim and Elisa? Congratulations to you too. Going to have to tack some time on to the end of the sermon today. But it's worth it. I have a new series of messages to share with you. It's going to be a short series, only four messages in this series because the book of Jonah is only four chapters long. And as I was talking about uh, this coming series, this is, sounds pretty loud. Is it too loud? Is it too loud? It's fine for you? Fine for you. Okay. Uh, as I was talking about this series of messages with Kelly, she said, huh. Now, Kelly has heard almost every, almost every sermon I've ever preached since 1984. It's a long time. And she reminded me, you have never preached through the book of Jonah. So this is a first for me. Now, I've read it. I've just never taught it. So it's going to be interesting, I think. At least for me it is. The idea for this series first came to me last fall when Ben Horovitz stood up here and preached for his first time. Some of you will remember that. And if you want to be reminded of it, you can find that message in our YouTube channel. I, I should have cued the date so that I would be able to tell you exactly when to look. But you can find it easily. And maybe um, Ryan Edmonds is probably already looking it up. And he's going to put it in the, he's, he's going to put it in the show notes on the Facebook channel. Uh, and, if, and if he wasn't already, now he is. Thank you, Ryan. September 12th. September 12th. Well, Ben knows. He knows. September 12th, 2021. You can go back and hear... Um, and hear that. That's going, to be, that's going to be a date that will live in infamy. When we, when we first had Ben Horovitz, our pastoral intern, preach. It's going to happen again soon. He's working on something he's very excited about, by the way. He was talking to me about it this morning. Can't wait. It'll be soon. Now, you might notice that the style of this morning's message and the rest of the messages in this series is a little different, maybe a little different than what you're used to listening to. Maybe a little different for me and what I'm used to, how I'm used to presenting. But I've noticed over the years, as, as my own peculiar style of preaching has developed, peculiar it is, right? Peculiar. As, as it, is, it has developed, I've realized that that the Bible has a number of different literary formats. Some of it is historical. Some of it is poetry. Some of it is narrative. Some of it is dialogue. Some of it is uh, almost a legal document. 
The book of Romans sounds like a legal treatise that Paul is writing to prove the case for Christianity. Some of it is just good stories, like the book of Jonah. It's a story, and it happens to be a true story. So it seems to me like the way to teach or preach in the book of Jonah is to tell the story. And as I tell you the story, I'm, I'm going to point out some things in the story that I think are worth applying in your life's Today, So I hope you'll follow along with me. There's, there's a little bit of notes in the bulletin. Uh, if you have your, uh, we used to say open your Bibles to, but now we say turn on your Bible to. <laughs> to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. In those pages that are still white and stuck together, there's no coffee rings. Probably no underlining or highlighting in this part of your Bible. Uh, but it's the book of Jonah comes right after Genesis, Exodus, skip a few, uh, Joel, Hosea, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. The book of Jonah tells a fantastic story. And uh, I'm going to tell the story, starting with chapter 1 this morning. We're only going to get through chapter 1 this morning. And this is the part of the story that you probably already know. So, bear with me. You've heard this before. Just bear with me. But before I start the story, it's a, it's a good idea to get a little bit of, a, of an idea of the scene. I'm calling the series, Jonah the Petulant Prophet. Pe- I thought about... Yeah, prodigal prophet, that's obvious. Other people have used that. The reluctant prophet, other people have used that. Uh, nobody has used the petulant prophet. Prop, prop, a petulant child is one who's always sulking and complaining and uncooperative. And sometimes, you and I probably... Has anybody here ever been petulant? Yeah. The petulant husband... The petulant grandfather. The petulant prophet. We don't know a whole lot about Jonah. I'm calling this, this first of the four sermons. The title of the first one is, I will serve you. You know the Gaither song? I will serve thee because I love thee. Well, that's not Jonah's song. Jonah's song goes like this. I will serve thee as long as I like what you ask me to do. But there are things that God, you can ask me to do that I am not going to do. Maybe you've, maybe you haven't sung that song. Maybe that's just your life song. I will serve you, but only on my terms. Here's some background. Uh, the, the only other reference to this prophet Jonah is found in 2 Kings 14. Now, his name comes up in the New Testament. We'll talk about that. But in Jonah's day and in the entire Old Testament, Jonah is only mentioned one other time besides the book that bears his name. And that's found in 2 Kings 14 verses 23 to 25. In, now, 2 Kings is history. So uh, I'm going to read this like a history passage. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, actually Jeroboam, boy, that's hard to see back there. Okay, thank you for that feedback. We'll fix that. Probably not today, though. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, um, his his name is sometimes spelled Jehoash, Jehoash, not not the same guy who was the father of Amaziah in the south. Uh, Jehoash is the father of Jeroboam in the north. So, uh, king of... Jeroboam, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. 
and he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Amaziah reigned in, in Judah in the southern kingdom. You remember from your Old Testament history, right, that um, Saul was the first king in Israel, and then uh, David was the second king, and Solomon was the third king, and, when, and between the three of them, they reigned 120 years, 40, 40 years for each one. And after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam um, failed to take the good advice of his father and his father's counselors, and instead chose to take the bad advice of his friends, and as a result, his kingdom was divided. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, remained king in the southern part of the divided kingdom, Judah. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, became king in the northern kingdom that kept the name Israel. Now, t- ten of the tribes, ten of the t- twelve tribes of Israel went with Jeroboam and formed the kingdom of Israel uh, only Judah and Benjamin stayed in the south, stayed loyal to the, the throne of David and remained the kingdom of Judah. So you knew that, right? Yes. Just nod your head and say yes. yes. You knew. You, and if you didn't, now you do. So these two kingdoms went on for hundreds of years kings in the north, kings in the south, parallel, and you'll find, you'll find in First uh, Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles—they cover the same period in Israel's history. You'll find the, histor- the historical record of the two kingdoms side by side, and you have to pay careful attention to know when they talk about kings: are they talking about the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, or the king of the southern kingdom, Judah? But here we have both kings identified. Amaziah is the king in Judah in the south. Jeroboam is the king uh, of Israel in the north. All right, now, um, Jeroboam, the first king, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he was a wicked king. The Bible tells us he did evil, and he turned the house of Israel away from God, and they began to follow pagan gods, idolatry. Uh, They did not have the priesthood. They did not have Aaron's priesthood. They did not have the temple in Jerusalem that remained in Judah and so they set up their capital city in Samaria and they had to build a second place that housed their worship and they were um, they were the disobedient sons of Abraham Isaac and Jacob they were the rebel child so to speak and Jeroboam their first king led them in wickedness and Jeroboam the first Jeroboam served to be the standard by which every succeeding king was measured which we're about to see he second uh, kings chapter 14 verse 24 he Jeroboam the second did not depart from the, all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now, this was not a dynasty. Jeroboam II was not the son or even the grandson or great-grandson of, of the first Jeroboam. They, they were all the time fighting to see who would be the next king. There's a whole series of assassinations and coups and uprisings. Jeroboam II was not related to Jeroboam I, but he was measured by the moral standard of the first king in Israel. He, Jeroboam II, did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. But he did do this. He restored the border of Israel from Leboamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. He had economic success, but not moral success. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. And that is where we get our historical reference to Jonah. Now, I hope that wasn't awful. Because if it was, it's about to get worse. Jeroboam. Jeroboam II, the king of Israel, was the son of Jehoash, 
sometimes spelled Joash. He reigned from 782 to 753 B.C. You're probably taking notes on this, right? Okay, I see you're scribbling furiously. Pick up the quiz on the way out. He had political and he had economic or material success. He enlarged the boundaries of his kingdom. People thought they were prospering. The northern kingdom of Israel knew prosperity under his rule as king. So everybody is happy. The economy is good. Unemployment is down. Uh, Inflation is down. My IRA is doing well. My portfolio is bursting at the seams. I am happy. But spiritually, this king was a failure. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the scripture says. And what that means is that he was guilty of oppressing the poor. He was promoting materialism and selfishness. And he continued the support of idolatry and pagan practices. Economically, materially... His kingship, his reign, looked to his subjects and to his neighbors like he was a fantastic king. But not where it matters to God. And that's really the important thing, isn't it? We ought to be paying attention to that. So I'm going to show you a few maps. Do you like maps? Some color. Here's some color. Hey, you, you managed to lighten that. You, you, Ryan, take a little something for yourself out of petty cash. You, you... If, if we had petty cash. Let's give, let's give Ryan and the tech team a round of applause. Right? Thank you. This map here is a map of the northern half of Palestine, Israel, And uh, I know you probably need a little help, so I put a couple of arrows there. There's an arrow here pointing to Nazareth. Everybody knows where Nazareth, everybody knows what Nazareth is famous for, right? This is the the hometown of Joseph and Mary and the town where Jesus grew up. That's Nazareth. Look uh, very close to Nazareth. In fact, just five miles away from Nazareth is this village of Gath Hefer. And uh, it's it, this village, is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 14, 25, I just read. And in Joshua 19, 13, it is included in a description of the territory in Canaan that Joshua apportioned to the tribe of Zebulun. One of several, several cities and towns that's mentioned. If you want to look it up, it's Joshua 19, 13. I'm not going to read it for you today. The, the name Gath Hefer means this is the winepress of the pit or the well. Gath Hefer, they had a winepress that they must have built down in a cistern or a dry well. And that's what that town became known for. This village continues to exist today, though it's known by a different name. The name of the village now is El Meshed. And the locals, if you go there, if you ever visit the Holy Land, which I have not done yet, if you ever visit the Holy Land and you've you've got an extra 15 minutes, get the bus to stop uh, here at this village, and they will proudly point out the alleged burial place of their most famous resident, Jonah. History says Jonah is buried in or very near this village. Okay, there's the background. Now, I'm, I'm going to um, tell you this story in five parts. If you're following along in your bulletin, I've made it really easy for you. And I know because some of you love it, I've made every, every part have a word, a major word that begins with the letter C. And I know Ryan Edmonds loves this alliteration stuff. And, and they pound this into you in preaching school. So I'm sorry, it just comes naturally. The first point in the, in the story of, of Jonah is the call. And we might also call this the commission, but call fits better in that blank. And I knew how to spell it. Nineveh. Now, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, this is where I need the special echo effects. Jonah, arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, when I first read Jonah, when I was just a little boy, just learning to read, um, when I heard the name Nineveh, I said, Nineveh? That's just up the road. Because where I grew up in Afton, New York, just five or six miles up the road toward Binghamton on Route 7, there is a little, a little hamlet called Nineveh on the banks of the Susquehanna River, when the Susquehanna River still looks like a drainage ditch. Nineveh, just up the road from Afton before you get to Harpersville, that's Nineveh. So when I first heard this, I said, Nineveh's in the Bible. <laughs> Turns out that there are a lot of places in the state of New York that are named after places in the Bible. Very interesting. This is not the same Nineveh that I knew about growing up. Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient empire of Assyria. Modern day Iraq. And the city of Nineveh, though the city no longer exists, the name is still in use in Iraq. It's the name of the province or the state where the current city of Mosul is found. And it was established on the east bank of the Tigris River, one of the four major rivers running through the Middle East. God was sending his prophet to this city. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God was sending his prophet Jonah out from his own country and to the capital city of not just a foreign nation, but an aggressive enemy empire. In some sense, Jonah was appointed by God to be one of the very first, if not the first, foreign missionaries. How about that? Almost all of God's prophets, God appointed prophets to speak to his own people. To say, this is what God has required of you. But Jonah was sent not to the nation of, of Israel, nor to the nation of Judah, but to the enemy. And that is the key to understanding the whole story of Jonah. It's not that Jonah didn't want to serve God. He just didn't want to go to Africa. Not Africa. That's, that's, that's a cute mission, missionary song that we heard decades ago. Lord, I'll do anything. Just please don't send me to Africa. Jonah was pretty proud of the idea that he was a prophet of God. There weren't that many of them. His objection was not serving God. His objection was going where God wanted him to go. He didn't want to go. Not there. God's call was for Jonah to carry a warning to this foreign people that God describes as evil. His call was followed immediately by his cut and run. <laughs> Jonah was less than excited about the idea of obeying God's particular call on his life if it meant going to that people. He did not wish to go to Nineveh. So he decided to pass on God's call and to retire from active ministry. Here is, how, here is how the story is told through Jonah's words. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So among other things, we can learn uh, from this part of Jonah's story that he was still pretty ignorant of who God really was. <laughs> and, and where God really was. 
And, and he had the same idea that a lot of people had back then. That, uh, uh, that God, there could be a God who was um, important in this part of the world, but his domain ended at, let's say, um, the Tigris River, and somebody else was in charge on the other side of the river. That was a common idea back then, that, that gods were local, territorial gods, and you wanted to be sure, sort of like a, a, um, a super warlord, you wanted to be sure you didn't cross the street into an, a, an opposition god's territory. And so Jonah thought, if I could just move out, uh, God will leave me alone. I will, I will escape his territory and I'll be free. Funny that a prophet of God could know so little about God. Something a lot of us might need to recognize about that is that maybe our own knowledge and our own understanding of God is not what we think it is. Do I have God completely defined? Have I completely understood? Have I got him all figured out? I don't think so. He had the idea that God, having brought his chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, out of bondage in Egypt and into this land of promise called Canaan, and had given them all these cities and towns and, and vineyards they didn't have to plant, and wells they didn't have to dig, and, and crops they didn't have to plant, at first at least, that this must be where God was going to call home, and he would not then want to stray very far from home thereafter. God would not care to leave his hometown to follow one of his petulant prophets who strayed far away. Here's a couple more maps. Here's Gath Heifer right in the middle of that circle. Now that name is a lot bigger than the town actually. And that's where Jonah was when we started. And then God said, I want you to go northeast up to Nineveh. That would have been the direction of travel. He would have had to travel mostly through enemy country to get there. And it would have taken him days or even weeks, probably weeks, to make that, that distance. They didn't have any, um, Metro North didn't have a line running through there yet. It would have been a long journey through foreign lands and peoples. But Jonah declined this call. And instead of going northeast, you'll see on the map, we just read, he went south west to Joppa. He went the exact opposite direction. Down to the seaport town of Joppa. And there he boarded a ship. Here's another map. This one gives us a bigger sense of where he was going. Nineveh, Nineveh there to the northeast of his town. Instead he went to Joppa. And then as far west, I put a little arrow here, uh, Flip through these quickly, please. Here's an arrow pointing to Nineveh. That's where he was supposed to go. Here's an arrow pointing to Joppa. That's where he went to get on board a ship. And then the last arrow, way, way, way out there, as far as the, for him at that time, the end of the earth. As far away as you could go. I'll get away from God. Anybody here ever run from God? Maybe not quite so dramatically as this. Okay. That's the cut and run. But Jonah was wrong about God. And so God chased him. Third part of the story, the big chase. God said, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah said, nope. I don't want to go to Nineveh, and I won't preach. I quit. <laughs> and so God said, oh, really? <laughs> You've heard that before. The story continues in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea... I love, 
I love when, whenever we had vacation Bible school, I would have the children do a little special effects. Blow like the sound of wind. Try it. Go ahead, try it. There it is, there it is. Rub your hands together. Rub your hands together. The wind began to blow and the waves began to build and soon there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Anybody here ever been in a boat of any size in rough water? I see a few hands. I see a few hands. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I don't know how ships issue threatening warnings to their crews, but somehow the people on the ship realized this ship might not hold up to this storm. And so the mariners, the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Sailors on the ship, Jonah had embarked on, were themselves religious men. Maybe, maybe you would call it superstitious, not religious. They had their own ideas about God, and their ideas about God were also mistaken. These men believed in any number of gods. They probably were from many different villages and towns and cities around the Mediterranean Sea coast. Um, and um, most of them would have had some kind of mythology about their idea of the gods. And most of you have at least read or have, have been taught in, in English classes or in history classes in high school about various mythologies and the pantheons of gods. You've got the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Norse gods, and you, you maybe even recognize some of the names of some of them. Uh, most of us have learned something about the, the idea that people had a god they associated with war. There's a god of war. There's a god of love. There's a god of wine. I happen to be named after the god of wine. Did you know that? My name, Dennis, uh, is, a, is a version of the name Dionysius, who is in Greek mythology, the god of wine. You got to wonder about me, don't you? You got to wonder about that guy. There's the god of the day, the sun. There's the god of the night, the moon, the stars. There's the god of fertility, or maybe sometimes it's a goddess of fertility. Maybe you even know some of the names. There's the God who lives in the mountains. There's the God who lives in the seas. Poseidon in the Roman pantheon. And there's the God who watches over travelers. And there's the God who helps people find things they've lost. We call, some of us call them saints today. But it's really kind of the same idea. These sailors had an idea that somehow God was involved or that God, their idea of God could rescue them. The story continues. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Um, maybe if the, if the ship wasn't so heavy, we'd be able to uh, navigate through these waves a little bit easier. Notice this. Jonah, who was not a sailor, he was a passenger had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, does that, does that click a little reminder bell in your head about somebody else who was in a boat, in a storm, and had fallen asleep in the boat? Oh, see? Keep, keep that thought. Keep that thought. Now the captain came... And said to him, now, you, you know probably that sailors are often known for a reputation of having some salty language, right? <laughs> so this is, how, this is how Jonah recorded it. But possibly not word for word. This is probably not a faithful transcription of what the captain of the vessel actually said. But he said, what do you mean, you sleeper? This is an all-hands-on-deck situation. 
We're fighting for our lives and you're sleeping? Get up here and join us in prayer. We're having a prayer meeting on deck. And and we need you to represent whatever God it is that you pray to. Because just in case, we want to make sure we've covered all of the bases. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God, the God, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Maybe God will rescue us. They had not yet come to the idea that, that they were in trouble because of God. But they were appealing to God to save them, to their idea of whichever God they thought. And they said, let's make sure we've covered all of them, just in case the one I'm talking to you isn't responsible for this part of the Mediterranean Sea. I'm not quite sure which quadrant on the map we are in right now. Then they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. Let's roll the dice. Let's draw straws. Let's pick the pebbles out of the, out of the bag and see which one of us is responsible that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Not, not yet. Sorry. Um, you're anticipating me, but you got a little ahead of me. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Casting lots was a common way in the ancient times of determining what the gods wanted. It's even found in the book of Joshua. And they were still using it in Acts chapter 1. They, were, they used lots to figure out who's going to replace Judas as the 12th member of the 12. They were used to inquiring of God and having God answer them sometimes through this means, this rolling of the dice. Not exactly rock, paper, scissors, because you control the outcome of rock, paper, scissors, right? You are the one who decides if you throw rock or paper or scissors. You decide that. Unless you're rolling loaded dice, you roll the dice and the number comes up by chance, right? Here we learn that these sailors had the idea that this calamity that they were fighting for their lives was not random at all. But that one of these gods was out to get them. And they wanted to know which one. So they asked Jodah, oh, by the way, this idea that if something bad is happening, it must be because one of us did something wrong is an old idea that still hangs around to this very day. There was a man born blind. Jesus came to him and the disciples said, Hey, hey, Jesus, who sinned? That boy, that man, or was it his parents that resulted in him being born blind? Somebody had to sin because that's a punishment. That was 2,000 years ago. But how often do we still hear to this day when a parent is agonizing over a sick child? Did I do something wrong? Is this somehow God punishing me through my child? That idea still hangs around, doesn't it? So they interrogated Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come up upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of which people are you? What terrible thing could this man have done that God would want to kill him and everybody around him? And all of this happened while the storm continued to rage. Understand, this is not a boardroom somewhere with people interviewing and recording devices and somebody taking notes. This is happening in the middle of a terrifying storm. See, Mike, I missed my goal. Okay. Jonah confessed, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Uh-oh. Here we have our culprit. He worships the God who created the sea. This must be the guy. Thou art the man. The sailors heard that. Maybe they looked at one another and nodded. You know how sailors are. 
They'd found their explanation, and this description of the God of the Hebrews, we're told, made them all the more fearful. They were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know, you know how people will talk. Uh, on, you know, uh, maybe, they're, maybe they're talking around a keg of rum, and Jonah has had too much. Maybe he brought some wine from Gepher, from that wine in the pit, the wine press in the pit. And maybe he had had too much to drink and it had loosened his lips and he told these guys, um, I, am, I am retiring and I am moving west. Not south, but west. So they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Does God want us to strap you to the main mast and lash you? Should, should you be making an offering? Should you be making a sacrifice? And the sea continued to rage even worse. And so Jonah said to them, Well, you're going to have to pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And the sailors looked at each other and they said, See, I told you it was him. <laughs> and uh, it just seems to me that Jonah is just now resigned to his fate. He had defied God, thought he could get away, and he learned better. And now he was going to have to pay. He was getting what he deserved. But notice, he said, you're going to have to throw me in because I don't have it in me to jump in myself. <laughs> Nevertheless, the men didn't like this suggestion. This is not, they were not prepared to offer a human sacrifice. Good on them. They tried hard. They rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The more they tried to avoid this grim thing, the worse the storm got. And so, they called out to the Lord. Listen to this. Oh Lord, not sure what language they would have been speaking. It probably wasn't proper religious talk. Remember, they're in the middle of a storm, fighting and fearing for their lives. But they said, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And I can't help but remember a couple of other times that this, this kind of language has popped up. Once from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And once from under a pile of stones, Lord, lay not this sin at their feet. Do not charge them for what they are doing. Stephen stoning. These men are saying, God, you seem to want this guy pretty badly. So this is on you. Here he is. And this brings us to the cast. I would have said the throw, but it doesn't start with the letter C. This is the cast. They cast him into the sea. They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The language seems to suggest that it happened suddenly. The sea just suddenly calmed. The, the skies just suddenly cleared and the wind just suddenly died down. And this gave these sailors confirmation that what Jonah had said about his God was in fact true. And for the moment at least, they became believers. They feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Exactly what vows we're not told. But being 
exceedingly fearful of the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who had the power and the authority to command the wind and the waves, and had the power over life and death, seems like a prudent and, and, and practical and sensible response to me. How about you? Perhaps we could use a little bit more of this kind of respect for the God of the universe who still has all of that same power. Now, having gone from cast, what's left is the catch. Here's the catch. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Was it a whale? Was it not a whale? Is it possible? Because you and I know that whales aren't fish. Uh, we have marine biologists who have taught us the difference. None of the men on this boat apparently were marine biologists qualified. Jonah and his contemporaries were not likely to be able to make a distinction between a whale and some other large fish. Does it matter? Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For those of you who are so inclined, you can Google this. Search for stories of others who have been swallowed by fish or whales and survived as long as three days and lived to tell the story. You can find these stories on Google. They're out there. But learned scholars will say, they'll certify, this is impossible. Those stories are all hoaxes. That's a bunch of hooey. That couldn't happen. That's not possible. Generally, I would agree with their skeptical assessment. Except, <laughs> except, my God routinely proves that nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Whale, not a whale. Physically, biologically, sensibly, logically impossible. Doesn't matter. It happened, just as described. And Jesus referred to this miracle specifically in the New Testament and Jesus wasn't deceived. He's not just reporting a story he heard when he was knee-high to Joseph's um, workbench. He is a witness. He's the one who designed the fish. He's the one who caused that fish to catch Jonah. Now there's some things to notice in the story. I'm, I'm already out of time. Let me, let me rush through these observations quickly, please. Some things to notice. God has resources at his command that you and I can't even begin to imagine. The wind and the waves, for example, in verse 4. The wind and the waves obey him. It reminds me of... Uh, what the disciples said on that other occasion when there was a person sleeping in the boat and there was a storm on the sea. Mark 4.41, They, the disciples, were filled with great fear and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Asked Jonah. Jonah knew. Some things to notice. Jonah is compared to Christ. I pointed out a couple of them. They're a little bit subtle until you start putting them together. Jonah was also asleep in the bottom of the boat during a great storm. One gives his life so that others may live. Did you notice that? Jonah's life is payment to satisfy, to appease, to propitiate God and all those survive because of Jonah's being given to God. Jesus made this comparison himself in Luke, in Matthew 12, and there's a parallel to this in Luke 11. 
This is what Jesus said. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, and listen to this, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. There are some things to learn in Jonah about Jesus. And we're going to continue to see those things as the story unfolds over the next few weeks. We also notice the sailors were religious, so you could call them superstitious. They believed their trouble was caused by or sent by a god. They believed that someone on the ship had offended this god or some god somehow. They used lots to determine uh, the will of God. And they appealed to God for forgiveness and understanding before they threw Jonah overboard. They were religious. And then they were converted. We We might call them today seekers. They were seekers who, when they heard the truth, believed. Now, I'm not going to make a whole lot about this because we don't know where these men went after they finished this voyage. I bet they had a story to tell in every tavern around the, every port in the Mediterranean Sea. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Now I have one last observation to make and then I'm finished and the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. And that is this. God prepares in advance. He prepares ahead of time. God sent the great wind. He caused the storm. The same God who calms the storm can cause the storm. Remember that. The same God who calms it can cause it. Can call it into existence. If it serves his purpose. And it does. God made the sea tempestuous. Even turned up the dial with every renewed effort by the sailors to escape that storm. He was relentless. God gets what he goes after. God pursues until he grabs what he is after. And maybe he's pursuing you. Stop running. Most significantly, God prepared this particular fish. Did he create it? In the instant, or did he grow this fish from a minnow into the fish he needed in this moment? He created a fish with the capacity to swallow a human being whole, carry it alive in its belly for three days and three nights, and then deposit it safely on shore. The fish is God's instrument of deliverance. Pretty cool transportation, too. (laughs) And God caused that very unique fish to be in the very spot it needed to be in the great sea called the Mediterranean. And at the exact moment that he needed to be there to catch Jonah when Jonah was finally cast into the sea. God prepares in advance. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He has prepared what he's doing in your life. He's prepared it from eternity. He knows what he's doing in your life. He knows the instruments of his purpose and plan in your life. The needle with which he is weaving this tapestry Makes no sense to us right now. I have a daughter-in-law who knits. Every time I see her, she's got a bag of yarn and knitting needles working furiously. And we always have to ask her, what are you working on? Because we can't recognize it. Makes no sense while it's in progress. Only until it is nearing completion does it start to look like what she had in mind when she first got the yarn. And if... 
If you, you and I can understand that, how much more is it that God works His work in a very unique way? It makes no sense to us most of the time what it is that God is doing and why He does what He does and the instruments that He chooses. Really? This incredible, mythical fish? God prepares ahead of time. And if God can do that... You can trust him to do whatever you need him to do to purpose, to complete his purpose in your life. There's a lot more to this story. This is just the beginning. This is the part that most of us already know. There's more to the story. And over the next three messages, I'm going to tell you with, with um, acknowledgments to the late Paul Harvey, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. We'll pick this story up next week and see what we can see. Next week, part two of the story, Jonah says, okay, 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 I'll do it your way. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this incredible story of your providence that you would choose to do what you did in the life of Jonah. We don't yet understand we've just started this story and there's more to the story important. The important part of the story is still ahead of us. This is the most dramatic part maybe, but the important part of the story, the why of this story is still ahead of us. And that's true of our lives too. We, We are in your hands and some of what's happened to us already seems very dramatic to us. And We still don't understand the why of what you're doing in our lives, but it will come clear in time. I pray that you will help each one of us to consider your ways, that what you are doing in our lives right now is not chance, it's not random, but purposeful. And it fits your purpose. And so we trust you in your preparation. In Jesus' name. Stand with us as we close it before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hands My name is written on his heart I know that while it no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there Who made an end to all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Behold him there, the risen land My perfect spotless righteousness The great unchanged Say
Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God, one with Himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by His blood, my life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God With Christ my Savior and 